thank you, Arthur. Welcome everyone to The World is My Country Club. I'm Melanie Bennett and I'm the facilitator of the club. I'm also producer on the film, The World is My Country. And we are here today. We just love having fantastic, interesting discussions on how we can build a workable world where human beings thrive with the other living beings on the planet. So that's what we're here to do. We have great speakers. Arthur is um, the host of the club. He is going to be introducing our fantastic speaker today. And then we are going to talk, we're going to talk and have discussions. We'll go back and forth and we'll, uh, amazing things will come up. So, but also if someone's talking too long, I will just give them two minutes and Arthur will pick the next, the next person. So that's the, the rules for that. And thank you one and all for being here. We're very excited about this. I see Richard's here. Welcome. Thank you, Richard, for coming. And uh, so we'll pass it on to uh, Arthur Kanigas, the director of the film, The World is My Country, and host. Arthur, yes. take it away. Well, this morning we're having a, a special uh, little club meeting just to kind of follow up with David Gallup, who, uh, who gave a recent talk to our club where he told about the amazing work of the World Service Authority and how its passports and IDs are not only uh, documents for travel, but documents for claiming our human rights right here in our everyday lives. Uh, mothers can't get their kids into uh, school or, or, or get them medical care or, or, or vaccinations in places where they don't have IDs. Uh, uh, so they get the world passport so they can do that. Stateless refugees come to a, for a political asylum, escaping horrible wars and other things and, and want to go to the courthouse to put in their request for asylum but they won't let them in the door. You've got to have an ID. So they go to the World Service Authority and they get their ID and they can at least get in and have their cases heard. And the amazing work they do on their legal team to help people who've been stuck in terrible situations and then they can use the, uh, the power of the World Passport documents uh, to help them in these strategic situations. Now, what I'd like to start with, with, with David, because there's some stories we didn't get to tell last time, I want to talk to him, uh, to, to David, the first talk to us about situations where, in a way, uh, the passport uh, serves uh, governments that uh, have no way to deal with people without, without them having a piece of paper and a classification. And so uh, they actually want them to have some kind of ID so they can handle them. And, and, and the world passport comes along. And I understand that even sometimes uh, maybe the United Nations or or other people have referred them to you. Tell us about cases where governments have actually kind of appreciated the fact that there's some kind of document that they can refer people to. Yeah, well, obviously governments themselves don't want to document, or maybe it's not obvious, but don't want to document uh, certain individuals who happen to be uh, within their, their claimed territory because the uh, individual, once they, if they document them, that might, add extra responsibilities or rights to the person that they, they, they don't want to necessarily uphold. Now, that, but they also know that the person uh, is either needed in the society or would be harmed by the society. So there's an, there was an example of an Iraqi man where, who uh, um, had uh, fled, this was you know, way, way a long time ago, had fled 
Iraq and had made it to, to the United States, but had not actually entered because there's a difference between being an, a deportable, quote unquote, a deportable alien and an excludable alien. A uh, deportable alien is someone who's actually made it into the country, made it through the airport, is, is you know, living somewhere uh, in, in an apartment or whatever, and, uh, but has not done what the national government wants them to do to uh, fulfill the obligations to become a permanent resident or, or then a citizen, uh, or maybe has committed a crime or something, so they want to send the person out. Uh, but an excludable alien is someone who might make it all the way to the airport, but then for whatever reason, the border uh, guard doesn't fully uh, believe or agree with their story as to why they need uh, political asylum. So instead of letting them actually in, they, uh, uh, and maybe not sending them back to the, the country where they came from, they may put them in uh, detention, actually. So it's like a, a, a um, excludable alien detention, you might say. So there was this Iraqi man who was in that position. They didn't want to send him back to uh, Saddam Hussein's regime because they knew he would be killed. So they were actually able to find uh, uh, assistance from the government of Ecuador and the use of the world passport. They uh, contacted us. We issued a world passport to this man. He, uh, they gave it to the, you know, the, the prison officials. They uh, made a special you know, charter flight for him and put him on the plane. Uh, and Ecuador took him in. Uh, so that they, they, you know, sometimes governments actually uh, do what they're supposed to do, which is to be a service. Uh, to us, to our to our fellow humans, and and this was one example. I, when we talked last week, I did give the example of uh, translators during the high, height of the war in uh, Iraq, where uh, you know the most recent war, uh, where U.S. government needed translators uh, to be working alongside of of um, troops. Uh, to, to go into areas where you know if they had a translator, things could be calmed and 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 you know, settled in a more peaceful way. So, but, but these translators, because of the fall of the, the government of Iraq, had no way to get a, a document to identify themselves. So once again, the U.S. government had come to us to issue the, them a document, which would have their photo and their information on it, and they could use that to then travel along with the troops and be considered an official accompaniment of the troops. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what about the uh, situation in Japan where they needed uh, guest workers? Right, well, once again, uh, governments uh, will do a partial resolution to a problem rather than the full resolution. Full resolution to the problem is whoever ends up in any country should be fully accepted as a human being, as a world citizen, and their full set of rights and duties should be respected, but that doesn't happen. So especially in the wealthier countries, uh, and it's not just Japan, but other countries here too, uh, where the government wants to sort of turn its back on like temporary or seasonal or agricultural workers where they might want them for a certain time, but after that, then they want them to leave or go home uh, or they don't want them to get the kind of uh, social uh, security kind of benefits that the rest of the people in this, the society have. So in Japan, for example, uh, we, were issue, we issued world passports to these individuals so that they could at least have the work permit placed in their world passport uh, and continue to work. And then oftentimes it meant sending money home to their family who were living in a poor part of the world, uh, which really helped them locally, but also helped their, their family in the other part of the world to, to really survive on more than just you know, one meal a day. So uh, the government sh you know, should have accepted these people fully. And this is why we're working on a, a project to create world citizenship as a valid legal and official citizenship everywhere in the world. We, if we have that, 
it would immediately get rid of statelessness because you wouldn't need to be a citizen of a particular state. Hannah Arendt, uh, the philosopher, talked you know, about citizenship, sort of the right to have rights. Well, if you're not considered a citizen, then you don't have any rights, you know, which is not true. Rights are innate. We're born with them. They are unalienable. You can't give them up. So yeah, we, we but governments, go, governments don't look at it that way, Arthur. They, they, want, you know, they want people there who are, you know, toe their uh, immigration line. And, you know, if, if you don't have the proper paperwork or if you don't have an ID, you, you cannot be here. Well, that's, that's the wrong way to look at a fellow human being, where we should be looking at our our uh, uh, the, uh, the people around us as people we, you know who are going to lend something to our society. If we if they need help, we help them. If they have something to give, they will give to to help us. We should, you know, we've divided our, our world so much, and our in our brains we've sort of divided you know who who counts and who doesn't just by you know where someone was born, which is not, you know, only by luck or chance where you happen to be born on this planet and, and where that leads to in your life. It's, it's you know, obviously an unjust and unfair system. And, and at World Service Authority and throughout Gary Davis's life, he was uh, uh, an uh, activist to expose these kinds of rights violations and to say that we, we can move beyond that. In fact, there was a great article, by the way, uh, which I want to, I can send a link to everybody in Jacobin uh, magazine, which talked about how there needs to be a world government, but it needs to be democratic. Well, we already say there is a, uh, a world government in microcosm that's, that's functioning, you know, sort of at the lowest level, which is World Service Authority as the administrative branch of the, of the world citizen government that Gary founded in 1953. Uh, so there are, uh, you know, beyond uh, uh, the, the, immediate group of us who know about the idea of world citizenship and world government. There's a lot of other people out there who now, because of the pandemic and because of uh, global warming and climate change, understand that we need to come together at a higher level so that we can help each other at all, at all levels of society. And that means helping those people, those temporary agricultural workers to um, welcome them and to help them to fit into the community and not to consider them as an other, so to speak. Yeah. Now, uh, I've, of course, got a lot more questions, but I want to just also remind people that the floor is open of any of you, uh, if Richard uh, or others have a specific question for David uh, on this topic. Let's stay on this topic a little while. Uh, you're welcome to jump in. If Melanie sees you raise your hand for that, she'll let you know. Meanwhile, because uh, she's monitoring, I think, the, the calls. And I'm, uh, I'm going to go on with another uh, commenting on what you said about Gary. Uh, Gary would tell an incredible story. Uh, and maybe you can can correct me on this. I believe it was in a, uh, or maybe you could tell it, the story of uh, uh, of the, uh, it was a jail uh, in, in uh, was it uh, between Laos and Thailand? Or where was, where right, was that? Right. Laos and Thailand, right. And there between Laos and Thailand, uh, this, uh, these, 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 these uh, tourists saw a guy, a little tiny window, and he was standing on someone's shoulders, waving, kind of waving out this little, little, little jail cell window. And, and they looked in and asked what's happening. He said, we're, you know, we're all locked in here. We're stuck. Can you, can you get us some help? Uh, so uh, she got a, a priest, uh, uh, but maybe you can take the story from here uh, of how that, how the, of the priest that, uh, uh, that, that contacted you about the world passports. 
Well, so I, I don't remember that particular story other than the end that, you know, Gary was able to issue free passports well, to a whole bunch uh, of- I'll, I'll tell the so I thought maybe you were better than me, but if you don't I remember, have, I can tell. After you say that, I do have another story about Gary going into a refugee camp and what that meant. So yeah. go ahead. Let me finish the story. I, I was just going to turn over you because you're the, you're the speaker. Okay. So what, that, what Gary told me, and, what, and he writes part about this in the book, is that these- uh, uh, so. Uh, you know, this, 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 this priest, uh, you know, saw what the situation was and saw these people needed documents from, from and so, because the priest was allowed to go in to, to talk to them. So he contacted the World Service Authority and he got uh, passports issued for them. And uh, he brought them in and was able to give them the passports. And the authorities were thrilled to have uh, somebody give these guys documents. They were having to feed and clothe these guys in this in this little prison under the basement because they couldn't. The other next country wouldn't take them. They wouldn't take them back, and they were stuck with them. They didn't want them, <laughs> so they were thrilled to get these documents to them and, and and get them out of there. Well, so this became a regular thing. They would regularly send the passports. Now there was one guy there. Gary tells this very moving story. He was he was catatonic. He'd been stuck there in this filthy little, overcrowded jail with no facilities or anything. And he just, he just wouldn't move. And they, someone stuck his world passport in front of him and he didn't even look at it. Finally, after the longest time, he kind of looked down at it. His eyes began to open. He began to, <laughs> he, and for the first time in, in, in years, he started to speak. Oh my God, I've got, <laughs> I've got identification, <laughs> I exist. And he was able to get out and he was brought out of this coma, you know, uh, this, 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 this comatose state back to life by just having a document, a document that he could use that, that meant he was somebody. With no document, you're nobody. You don't exist. You become <laughs> like he was, catatonic. You don't, you're not here. And, and, and so that became a regular thing. They were just clearing out this, uh, this detention center. And you were going to throw in another story. Actually, that was, the, that was what I was going to mention. This fellow who, who because of the loss of hope and the sort of, uh, you might call it, you know, closed off existence being stuck in a, it's almost, you know, it's like a jail cell, really. Uh, he lost his, his sort of will to exist and, and his humanity, but, but the fact that Gary gave him this passport, and finally, like you said, he, he looked down and looked at it, he basically realized, well, I'm real, I exist, uh, you know, and then he was able to sort of come out of that catatonic state. That's exactly the story I was going to tell. Uh, and I can tell you, uh, it's amazing how many times, uh, just by providing a, a document uh, that, uh, you know, it changes people's minds. And so a quick story I have, separately from that, uh, but it's more of a, a first world story, I guess. I was taking a tour not long after I started at World Service Authority of the, uh, in Strasbourg of the European uh, court system. Uh, and uh, in the, it was a, a mid-afternoon tour. There were only maybe five of us, and the tour guide went around and, and asked everybody where they were from, and I was the last person she came to, and this was a, a tour in French, and so she you know, said, d'où venez-vous? And I said, uh, um, de la planète Terre. Uh, and, and so I said, which she's, the question was, where, where are you from? And I said, planet Earth. So she <laughs> kind of smiled, and she's like, no, but where, where are you really from? So I got up my world citizen card and showed it to her, and she looked at it, and she's like, Oh my God, you are from planet Earth. <laughs> and then she's like, she whispered to me, okay, David, after the tour, I want you to tell me exactly where I can get one of these. Uh, so, so it's you know, amazing. Border guards ask me the same thing. Border guards' reactions to the world passport vary so widely. Um, you know, I had, uh, I've had border guards uh, 
Hasselby confiscated, grab it. You remember I had to report the one at Gibraltar and you tried to get it back for us. But I've had other, uh, other, uh, uh, other passport control officers say, wow, where can I get one of these? And Melanie, why don't you tell the story about uh, the, uh, the, the, when you presented the passport and she said, what did she say uh, <laughs> about the passport that the passport were not exposed to this is except this is yeah so she basically the the border um office the officer said and this was at the u.s right yeah yeah so oh, yeah. she's so, so okay so i had my uh, american passport first and i said oh would you mind stamping this world passport and she looked at it and she goes is this a passport we're not supposed to accept and, <laughs> and before i could answer she goes boom and she stamps it so she was a world citizen yeah. <laughs> and she and she and she claimed her world citizenship and you know that's the key thing to the world passport gary would always say he would say people ask me does the world passport work and i say no i mean does a hammer work no a hammer doesn't work it just sits there you have to work the hammer you have to work the tool and he said, the world passport is a way that we claim our human rights because we already have these inalienable rights, but governments violate them. And we have to have some tools to help us. In our film, you'll see Gary says they have their bureaucratic tool, the visa control. Now we have our tool. So it's a tool that we can use for a bureaucracy that's caught up in paperwork to be able to claim our, our rights that we already have as world citizens. Those are innate. The, the US Declaration of Independence says it, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, most constitutions, and yet governments regularly violate those, which of course gets us to the big question people may well be asking as they <laughs> hear you talk about uh, people's rights who are in countries, uh, to the, uh, the terrible situation right here in the US. Uh, what, what, what is the World Service Authority's response and what can you do uh, in the really uh, terrible situation that we have uh, where a uh, terrific number of people who've committed no crime whatsoever, children and others, are horrifically uh, imprisoned for no reason other than lack of papers? Right. Well, uh, our legal department works on some of those cases you know, for on behalf of individuals. Uh, that might be something that we might write about in a blog or try to expose uh, by perhaps contacting the, the government, the, the head of state, the, the Department of Justice, Department of State, et cetera, to report on those. But usually our, our take on those kinds of issues of uh, you know, unjust uh, imprisonment would be to help the individuals who are uh, actually detained, uh, writing legal briefs to try to get them freed. Uh, that's been usually our tactic is, is because of the, our, our, you know, really, you might say, lack of, of great amount of funding to do more than we can. It's usually helping individuals in individual situations um, because there's, oh, of course, a lot of other organizations working like, um, I'm trying to remember the name of, uh, of, of a good friend from law school who there was a, a, a there was actually a movie about the a fellow who was, uh, you know, um, incorrectly accused of a crime, and and he was able to, to get that all that dropped. So there are other organizations that are working on this this issue. But I did uh, write put out a um, a recent statement about uh, Black Lives Matter and and how there's an inordinate a number of Black people who, especially Black men, who are being um, arbitrarily stopped and, and arbitrarily detained and then uh, arrested and put away oftentimes 
for, for nothing, nothing other than uh, the color of their skin. Um, and that we're living obviously in, in an uh, unequal and unjust society uh, where, um, we've, where we're still separating ourselves uh, and that's what's causing you know, the, the continued persecution. I mean, it's, it, we're, we're a this is a colonial society. It's a colonial uh, world unfortunately, that, that we're still living in. We have to continue to expose it. And I, I'm just so amazed about movements like Black Lives Matter. And that's what I think we need to take to the world citizenship movement, is this uh, big uh, swell of, of people who see the inequities in the world. And, and that's what we're working on next, really. I know I'm working that, on that with our social media interns to try to say, look, uh, how do we deal with the issues of, of um, inequality, deals of, of poverty, of um, you know, injustice in the world. Well, these, these have to be higher level resolutions that we use to, to resolve these problems. Right. Well, you know, the, uh, oh, Barat has a question. Jump sure. in, Barat. Yeah. Uh, thanks, uh, David. And thanks, Arthur and Melanie for organizing this. These are wonderful. Uh, I have a couple questions. One is, uh, are there any uh, uh, World Authority offices outside of Washington? Yeah, well, we, if other countries, I mean, and sure. if you do have one, you know, once, then can you tell me where they are? And sure. The second well, question is, sure. if you don't have one in India, I'll be interested in working with you, if you would like, to set one up there. Definitely. So, Especially Mumbai. I go there great. every year and, uh, you know, so. That would uh, be great I, for us. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I would, well, uh, back, uh, I mean, when World Service Authority first started, I mean, you know, Gary would tell me sometimes it was at his kitchen table. <laughs> um, so, you know, like a, a one-man show, uh, you might say. Uh, but uh, as things expanded and, and the need uh, increased, uh, the office expanded and there was an office in, in France uh, and then in Basel, Switzerland. And then in 1976, Gary decided to move the, the principal office to Washington, D.C. And it was during that time that he actually set up multiple offices and, and, and he called them world districts, different districts of the world. I think there were, I can't remember how many districts, maybe there were 12 or 13 world districts in the world. And there was, uh, so there was the, the first district was in, in Switzerland, in Basel. And then uh, this, the Washington, D.C. was the third world district. And uh, he created an office in, um, in London and an office in uh, Tokyo and the office in Tokyo was around for almost 20 or so years. The head of that office was actually from China and then she moved the office to Shanghai uh, and then because just for personal reasons she, she decided that she couldn't continue uh, with the office so we actually ended up shutting down our, our Shanghai office in about 2008 or 9. Um, so now we only have one main office. However, during all this time we also, one of the uh, things that not many people know about WSA is we do have uh, uh, capacity to offer people like a representation agreement or a representation situation where an individual can uh, act as a, you might say, an agent of the organization or representative in their local community. And, and we prefer when people uh, come to us that they come from another part of the world, who they speak the local language. Um, so uh, we do have various representatives around the world, uh, like uh, uh, our agent in um, Beirut, Lebanon, Ali Akhil Khalil. I just talked to him earlier this week. He's helping uh, several uh, ambassadors get documents uh, in Beirut. In fact, even a, a person who was from Syria but has reestablished his life in, 
in uh, Beirut. Uh, and um, so we have other people in other parts of the world, in, in Germany, um, in Cameroon, and other places that represent us. But uh, I don't think we have anybody recently, uh, Bharat, who would like to be a representative for us in India. So if you would like to do that personally, or if you know some people who are there, you know, in addition to you being there, you know, once a year for, I guess, a certain extended amount of time, who would like to create that uh, sort of it's like an information office we still issue all the documents out of the washington dc office but then having a local office someone who speaks you know uh, hindi or gujarati or whatever it might be would be amazing to have so i would certainly want to take you up on that and uh, brought and so i uh, definitely you know if you can email me to david gallop at worldservice.org uh, after this oh, conversation okay. i'll send you the, the so information repeat, repeat that your answer. email oh yeah so david gallop d-a-v-i-d G-A-L-L-U-P, that's all one word, David Gallup at worldservice.org. Yeah, it would, so, yeah. Be, uh, it would be wonderful to have an India office. And now in this modern era, it can be streamlined more with all the interactive uh, tools at our disposal. Uh, people could actually have an, have an office and instantly uh, uh, take, it, take the data down uh, electronically and and have it issued to DC and have it sent out even FedEx fairly quickly. So it would, you know, people aren't gonna have a, print, a printer right there on their, uh, <laughs> in their office anyway. So actually working remotely from DC is easier and easier. It could be a, a great way to have a local office there of the World Service Authority. So uh, thank you so much for that idea. For, uh, well, uh, I do have a, a comment if I may. Sure. On, on uh, especially your last uh, idea which I think is very good, this idea of taking it to a higher level where you have a, I, I personally feel that uh, the way we have our world these days, particularly us in the US, I just don't think uh, it's a good idea for US to be leading all these things. Uh, for one thing, the world is a lot bigger than US. Uh, you know, perhaps not as rich, but then it's rich as it is because U.S. has welcomed people from around the world who are really the most productive people in, if you look at the growth of the United States and all the, I have a list of CEOs of all the multinationals, 80% uh, of them are not born in America. Right. You know, and, and so like, it, in a way, U.S. is sort of like a microcosm of the, uh, a lot of the good parts of the world. And, you know, also the poor and others who try to come here, unfortunately, they're being restricted, especially with this administration and the problems that you find. Uh, anyway, the, the point I wanted to make is that in order for that higher level organizing, I really feel that we need to have a presence, I mean, a real presence in different parts of the world. Because I'm reminded of the way Gandhi developed, you know, his campaign for getting India, you know, to wake up and get citizen support to fight the British occupation. And the way he would do it, he would find for each of the district and villages, passionate individuals who want to participate 
and create a sense of education and awareness and a, and a kind of a belonging to the larger cause, you know, because after all, ultimately, a human uh, frailties and insecurities always respond to, you know, uh, what does that do to me? How am I going to have it better? I have it pretty bad right now. And I barely can keep up with what I have. So if I'm going to get into this thing, you know, what's there in for me? And those are the kinds of Very emotional good. and, you know, issues that I think needs to be tied in to this idea. Uh, so we have a bond of being part of the world, you know, as, as such, as we have, you know, grow up being part of our neighborhood or being part of our community or being part of our, you know, language group. So how to develop that level of emotional binding is where I think this could be a fantastic way to achieve it, you know, for the world. Anyway, that's, that's my comment. Wonderful point, Bharat. Uh, you have a particular comment on that, uh, David? I do, yeah. Well, so over the last several years, especially as social media has come into its own, uh, I've been speaking with our the youth that I work with in our internship programs and when I go to speak at, a, at events. And I've also been linking up recently, not only here at the World Is My Country Club, but also with uh, some uh, activists in, in other parts of the world who are working on uh, peace issues, uh, some who are artists, some who are educators, to say, how can we build what we're building now? And Gary would always point this out. Uh, the, the difficulty we've had is building geometrically, one citizen, world citizen plus one world citizen plus one world citizen, and not exponentially, you know, one plus two plus four plus eight plus 16 plus 32 plus 64, et cetera. So we need to expand ex exponentially. And how do we do that? So there's actually three clubs that I'm, I'm sort of involved in now. One is the World is My Country Club. There's also a, and Bharat, you may be a little bit familiar with this having been at, at CGS, Citizens for Global Solutions meetings, but uh, World Service Authority for many years have talked about creating a World Citizen Club on high school and college campuses. But really now with, with uh, the, uh, the capacity through the internet to be able to do this is, is much better. So we actually did launch our World Citizen Club program last fall um, and we, we started a club at Webster University in St. Louis uh, and they took the, the topics of um, uh, poverty and this coming year they're going to take the topic of refugees and maybe the, the following year they'll take the topic maybe of, of uh, climate change or global warming and each year students will have club meetings on their campus when they can be back there maybe this will also be partly remote, at least this coming semester, to talk about issues that they're passionate about, but, but to inject the idea of world citizenship into their discussions. So we may show the, the World Is My Country documentary uh, on college campuses uh, and have presentations there. We are trying to inject into peace and justice studies programs uh, curriculum around, at least to start with North America, uh, so US and Canada, and then uh, and elsewhere in the rest of the world, this idea of 
world, uh, world citizenship and world federation uh, as things that should be taught. So Gary Davis wrote 10 books in his life. Those books should be in the curriculum of uh, students who are studying peace and of course should probably be on in the regular history books. Gary should be lauded like, uh, uh, you know, other, other world leaders like Gandhi, like you were talking about, um, as, as an activist for uh, what I like to call peace insistence or what other people call nonviolence. Um, and uh, so the, the World Citizen Club, Student World Citizen Club, will, is trying to get to uh, young people while they're still young and, and you know, have open, more open minds to this idea of being world citizens and what does that mean in, in this 21st century. And then there's a third club, which I'm working on with some, like I said, some adults in other parts of the world, some in, in Canada, some um, in, uh, uh, in uh, there's a person who's from Russia, but he's in um, uh, Luxembourg, I think, who's, who's uh, an IT person. Uh, and then there's some musicians um, who, an artist, and we're all coming together to, to talk about having a world club uh, for adults, sort of like the World Citizen Club for students. And it might be virtual, but it also would be a way uh, in this club to bring the idea of um, social entrepreneurship uh, uh, and, and world citizenship together so that uh, people in, in a certain community, it could be in a, in a village, in a, you know, in a city in, in Africa, where they have learned indigenously how to to, you know, the, the women in their town learn how to, to do a certain um, uh, technique to, whether it's to grow a certain crop that they can then use uh, for some other purpose, whether it's, a, you know, a handbag or, or you, know, you know, carrying water or something else like that. And take that idea and then share that with another group uh, in another village, say somewhere in Latin America or, or somewhere else in the world. So with the idea of sharing the best minds, and Arthur talks about this, Melanie talks about this, sharing the best of all minds uh, of what people come up with in one part of the world and sharing that with people in, in another part of the world uh, and linking the idea of world citizenship training and social entrepreneurship together. Because I think one of the big disadvantages of the uh, peace and justice movement of the human rights uh, movement, of the environmental rights movement, is that we're all working, or people are working together in, in their own, or not together, but working in their own silos, separate from each other. We need, uh, you know, a much bigger movement um, that, you know, I'd refer to that you re re repeated, Bharat, that brings those different uh, groups of people together, because I, I really think that that world citizenship is what ties all those, ties environment, uh, re respect for rights, um, poverty and, and justice and inclusion and, and peace, all these issues come together under the umbrella of world citizenship. And, and I think that's, I'm so excited about these different clubs at different levels of, of you know, people's active lives, whether they're youth or, or, or older adults, to bring this idea, bring the movement to, to the forefront. And I, I, even though it may appear that we're living in a world that's, that's sort of falling apart, that is splintering, I think it's, it's what Gary would say, it's, you know, it's, it's maybe coming, you know, our understanding of our, our lives is coming down to a lower level, but it's also uh, vertically coming up to a higher level. We see that we need both the higher level uh, awareness of who we are, uh, also to uh, support and protect those lower level uh, awarenesses of, of who we are. Uh, and so I'm really excited about all, all this work that we're doing. And, and, and I want everyone to know that you have a role to participate in, in making this happen. Wonderful. Well, that's terrific. And, you know, that's, of course, the central uh, reason for our club, where we're working to, uh, uh, to build a, uh, a workable world where, uh, where we can live and in, 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 in thrive with the other beings of our planet. And the key to that is 
to be able to, and this is what Gary was talking about in the film, uh, an interactive way that we can take all those different small parts. So Gary used it, the, the parallel of the geodesic sphere with all the different points on it, which you can have as many, as many points as you want in the geodesic sphere and get multiple, multiple points. But the key part about the geodesic sphere organization structure is that instead of top down to the president or the king on top and the next one underneath, you take that and revolve it where every single person in the organization is on top of the world in their sphere and what they're doing. And, uh, and if we take that interactive model, uh, it, uh, one of the things we want to do is to be into, and we have developed some draft screenplays and scripts. We would like to have a, an ongoing you know, a, a series on TV where every week young people dwelled in the people powered plant of our future and that interactive future where, uh, where the key thing that makes it possible for all these different groups to coalesce is that if they can all be part of feeding and if we actually create what Gary called a, a, a government of, by, and for the people of the world that interactively connects all these different groups and all the things they're doing and amalgamates it into the will of the people on the global level, which all the constitutions and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the Declaration of Independence all say that's what the basis of government is. It's not some building or a big stone uh, <laughs> brick uh, 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 capital or something. It's we the people. And if we the people create that interactive new form of governance. Uh, it can have all these multiple parts and, and everything people can do can begin to feed into it. It really just takes a click in thinking, it takes a click between thinking, you know, we are the governed underneath these people with all the power and, uh, uh, and we have to beg and plead them to, to try to fix, and, uh, fix our world. And Gary said, here's the key, the, the biggest secret is that we don't have to beg and plead them to make change. They can't do it. They're on the wrong civic level. Their loyalty is to the part, not the whole. We the people have to create this new interactive system. We the people create governments. We just have to use our genius and the incredible potential that we have that's beginning to emerge already. Even these Zoom meetings that are coming out of this pandemic are people in the world learning how to interconnect. And when we have them learn how to interconnect and we create a system, you know, Gary talked about in the geodesic sphere, the tensile strength comes. He called it, he called it uh, uh, syntegrity. And that is two reasons for that. It's synergy with integrity, but there's also a, a, an integral strength from the synergy that comes when you connect opposites. And if we create an interactive system where, you know, if in, your, if in our club we have people who are on totally opposite sides of the issue, people who support banning all immigrants and people from Arabs and Jews or, or on, uh, you know, Israelis and Palestinians or people on opposite sides of any fight, and, and, and we find ways to have them interact and, and, and not say, and we, we had some very interesting talks about this last night in our other club, the Rotary E-Club of World Peace, where we had Don Grady on, uh, and you can watch the replay, uh, uh, in the, it was sent out in an email, but uh, he was a police officer, a good friend of ours from Santa Fe, New Mexico, who uh, went, who, who uh, they had this terrible situation in Bosnia, these people had been fighting wars with each other, killing each other, and they had to meld them into one police force. Uh, and it was so impossible, none of the professionals would take it. And someone said, well, you know, there's this crazy guy, Don Grady, who was crazy enough as a, Hispa as a black man to take on heading a Hispanic police force in, in Santa Fe and somehow managed to pull that off. Job. And they, they didn't think anybody could really do it, but they thought, okay, here's somebody who's willing to take on impossible tasks. And they told him it can't be done. And what he did 
is he, he first of all, he said, okay, we're going to let Bosnians pick which Serbians get to be on our police force. Serbians pick which Bosnians. There were three different groups, and each one got to pick the people from the opposite side who got to be on the, uh, on the force. Well, of course, <laughs> they didn't pick the biggest and toughest and meanest. They picked people who were reasonable, who could work together. And he, and he said, now our goal, we're not going to say our goal is, you know, how many people can we arrest? And we're not here to enforce it over. How, how do we reduce crime? That's our measuring stick. And he got them all teamed for one goal, working together, and he pulled off the impossible. And then he went on to other countries where he did that. And that's kind of what the People Powered Planet is. It's about, uh, once we open our eyes to... This, this, this incredible unity thinking, there's incredible power to do things that seemed impossible in the old separated world, the old win-lose democracy. There's no way out of it. We can never win that battle. We can only win it by stepping outside of it and making that click in our brain to, from being the governed to being the governors of our small planet. And so that's what I think we need to depict in movies and and an interactive site. And I know Tom's been talking with me about this idea. He hasn't said something yet, but he's also been thinking for a while about how do we create something uh, maybe beyond the current internet that does something like this. Do you, do you want to comment on that, Tom? I don't mean to put you on the spot and I don't hear you. Are you, uh, is your volume on? Oh, there I you. have to unmute my phone. Yeah, now we hear you. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, what, uh, what Arthur's talking about, you know, he and I are like twin brothers almost. Uh, different mothers, but twin brothers. <laughs> um, it, it really boils down to what uh, Arthur describes as like an app that uh, is way beyond what we have now. You know, I've been a uh, proponent of uh, preaching about this new age, even though I'm not into astrology, we are in a doorway crossing the threshold from Pisces into Aquarius, and we've been there for about 75, 80 years, crossing the threshold. And um, I won't be around when we're fully in it, and my grandson probably will be an old man or won't be around when our species has fully entered the age of Aquarius. And you know, if you look it up, it talks about technology. Well, we've been having this technology happen for, you know, 60, 75 years. And what Arthur and I talk about is having an app that uh, maybe is beyond what we use like cell phones, but holographic where it just, is an image that pops up in front of us and we can type and move things around kind of like i think there's a movie with tom cruise that minority that does this. yeah and and that uh, people can on that geodesic dome that arthur talks about that immediately instantly connect with say a group that's working on uh issues of famine or environmental issues or my big thing lately is I'm looking at this uh, issue of racism, not just racism of white against black, but black against white. There is a woman that just well, because not to go she yelled out about that. Stick, stick with the app rather than the Pacific story of the woman because we want to just get quickly to that. So what was your idea about how we move beyond the internet? 
Well, I've had three strokes. I've just lost my whole train of thought. Oh, oh I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I didn't. I wanted to keep it on the target, not get uh, uh, on a tangent or anything. Well, let's let's come back to you if, you if you want to raise your hand again later. Richard, you haven't popped in with anything. Any comments that come to mind as you're listening to David or questions for him? And you're muted, Richard. You have to unmute. So, uh, uh, you know, I mean, the examples that you've used uh, point out the need uh, for for the paper for the uh, uh, to to have people to to give them an identity, you know, whether it's a birth certificate, a passport, or uh, other uh, pieces of paper. That uh, uh, goes back to the Wizard of Oz. You know, I mean. Uh, uh, it's, you're, you're not intelligent until you have a piece of paper to prove it. So, <laughs> uh, you know, the, so, so you're, you're doing a wonderful job and I applaud that. <laughs> okay. Well, let me ask uh, David. So you're doing this wonderful job. You're, you're, you're serving a service to refugees all over the world, people in need of documents, plus you're starting uh, uh, interacting with clubs, world citizen clubs. How many paid staff do you have in your organization? to do all this right now too <laughs> in about uh in about a couple of weeks it'll be three uh which is great uh, um but we have um on a day-to-day -day basis we also have seven unpaid volunteers who are interns student interns uh half of which who are working in our legal department our, on our legal advocacy team i was just right before this meeting i was in a meeting with them to talk about the cases that they're working on which are far-ranging and i would love if we have time to tell you about, you know, a couple of the cases that we've done that, you know, are so, sort of success stories, which are I find extremely interesting. Um, and then also our social media interns who are trying to build our presence. We're actually also trying to separately from the World Citizen Club. There's so many things that we're trying to do, like uh, start a World Citizen podcast where uh, similar to this, we might uh, bring on a guest and talk about their field of, of endeavor, but how it relates to world citizenship. And that harkens back to Gary's, Gary Davis's radio show called World Citizen Radio, which he did for almost about a year and a half up until he got really ill before he died, uh, where he would bring on a guest and, and talk about, you know, world citizenship and, and how it pertained to, you know, their field in the environment or whatever it was. So there's many things that we're trying to do. And separately from those people, if you saw, you know, you saw in our, the slideshow from last week, there's a lot of other people that we're working on, maybe not on a day-to-day -day basis or who aren't on paid staff, but who are working with us on the various projects we're doing. I think it'd be great to hear about some of the current success examples. Uh, do you want to have one of the others, uh, one of the, in, are you, you're not with the interns there now where one could talk about it, right? No. Okay. Uh, no, not right now. Uh, I just, you know, I hung up with them on, on a Zoom meeting uh, about an hour ago. But yeah, um, yeah, everybody's but, social distancing here now, which is, which is good. So um, anyway, uh, but yeah, do tell us about a few of the key success stories. Uh, that would be helpful. Well, and, and these also uh, explain the important uh, role that we each take, as you, as you said, or, uh, Arthur, as, or as Gary would always say, as, as governors or as lawmakers or as, as the, the, you know, the, the planet depends upon us as the, the people, or we depend on the planet, but we uh, depend upon each other to make things happen for each other. And Gary always talked about how it's important maybe to go to the top official and to uh, engage that kind of um, 
thinking. You know, when he when he would write a letter to the Queen, and and when he was stuck in Brixton Prison, and the guard was afraid to take that letter and, and send it along and think he couldn't do it. But then, you know, when the the guard came back very happy, sh showing the you know Gary the reply to the Queen's letter, um, uh, you know, shows the power of one that one person can have. So another example of that, and this is as I first started WSA's legal department back in 1992, I learned so much from Gary about how to approach. Uh, government officials and how to deal with them. I mean, Gary was an expert in dealing with the bureaucracy, you might say. There's an example, and I, and I won't give um, uh, the, I won't give names, but mute there was your a phone, Mute your phone if you have a noise going on. Is everybody muted but David? Yeah, so there was a, a fellow from Romania who um, had made his way to Italy. And, um, and he only had a world passport, but he was able to get into Italy, but he needed to get a work permit because he was a musician who was going to be working in an orchestra and he came with his whole family. And, uh, and this was before the European Union, you know, Romania was part of the, the, of the European Union. So he, uh, he got his world passport, he took it to the local police station and the chief of police looked at it and, and said, what is this? And, and he said, I don't, you know, I don't think you should be using it. So he took the passport. And then this, this fellow uh, wrote to us and said, look, you know, they took my passport, what do I do? So immediately we wrote a letter to the uh, prime minister of Italy, to the ministry of justice, the ministry of foreign affairs, the ministry of immigration. And with copies of that main letter to the prime minister, to the particular police chief who took the passport. And we showed stamps from Italy uh, that of showing them of the recognition of the passport. And, uh, you know, the whole process probably took about a month and a half by the time uh, this guy wrote to us and we wrote to the head of state and finally heard back. But then about a few days after um, uh, he had the uh, police chief had gotten the letter, he had called the man in and the man was a little bit worried. Okay, my, is he going to call me in and deport me or what's going to happen? But the police chief uh, over the counter, handed him his passport back, apologized and said, I'm really sorry. You know, I didn't really understand what this document was, was that you had. You know, yes, here's your, your work permit. You can work in the orchestra. Uh, and, and then he was able to stay and, and with his family and integrate into the society in Italy. So it shows the power mm -hmm. of just even one set of letters, a, a letter writing campaign can have in uh, helping somebody. Another uh, quick story, there was a, a fellow who made his way to uh, Tennessee from uh, Israel and actually, and Palestine. He had been working in a cafe in, um, in, uh, in uh, Jerusalem, in East Jerusalem, uh, but for an Israeli uh, cafe owner. And it just so happened one day he saw some kids, you know, scribbling, you know, spray painting epithets uh, against, uh, you know, Israelis on, on a wall near the restaurant. And he told his boss, the boss, you know, at the restaurant was very happy. And the next day uh, uh, um, at the restaurant, the, the police chief came in to meet with this man, uh, this, you know, this restaurant worker and said, oh, thank you so much for, you know, your, your service to the society here for reporting on those, those kids, uh, you know, well, we would like to extend your work permit, but only if you continue to be like a, uh, a sort of spy for us. So it was almost like using coercion, saying, you know, you won't get an extension of your work permit if you don't do this for us. So the guy felt a little bit, you know, obviously his, his arm was twisted. He felt like he had to do this. So, you know, he would report things here and there. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, one night, he was actually kidnapped um, and taken to the West Bank where he was put in some kind of bunker uh, by Palestinians who looked at him as a traitor, uh, you know, to, to their people, because he was actually Palestinian. Uh, and 
He was there for a while. Finally, with our help and the help of his mother, actually, who was working with a, um, a legal organization, she sent some lawyers to the to wherever they were hidden somewhere in the you know in the desert to to find him. And the lawyer said, "We just want to meet with him." And what they did was they took him out of the the bunker, but immediately put him like in a jeep and then drove away, <laughs> you know, and and got him out of there. And then he was able to get on a plane and get to Tennessee. Uh, so it was our responsibility in our legal department then to, to figure out, okay, look. Uh, this person certainly deserves uh, asylum, but what do we argue? So the legal interns and I talked about the strategies and finally we decided, look, um, he would not be safe returning to Israel where, because they're gonna just consider him you know, uh, Palestinian and, and also because of, the, uh, of, of uh, you know, the fact that he was taken by the, you know, the Palestinians, they're not sure whether he you know, was uh, also become sort of a turncoat against them. And then he couldn't go back and, and live anywhere in the Palestinian Authority because those people would think of, of him as a traitor against them. So this is the argument we made. Uh, we submitted a brief to the local attorney who submitted it on his behalf, and, and that's what really helped him get asylum. I think if we hadn't provided that brief, uh, and he's, he, he even called me just about two weeks ago to, to, to offer uh, um, uh, information to a friend who also felt he felt needed a a world passport. So, the, so, you know, over many years, this, this fellow has been very thankful for the work that we've done. And I do have an update. And I, oh, there was a case I think I mentioned in our last conversation about a, a, an Iranian woman uh, who, where we had to get a, a special license from the U.S. government because, because of the Treasury Department's control over who Americans can deal with. And all, all of Iran is blocked as a country. You can't help anybody there. And like, so we did get a special license to help this woman who was lesbian, but was forcibly married to uh, her cousin, who was a man. So she was repulsed, one, by being married to a man, two, by being married to her cousin, you know, uh, you know, incest incestually. So uh, she was reaching out to us uh, very carefully because her, you know, husband, she was always worried, was looking over her shoulder. So we were able to issue her for free a world passport. And for many years now, we didn't know what happened. But finally, she got a hold of us just a couple, just like a month ago, uh, and she's in Turkey. So she was able to make it out of Iran, thank thankfully, and now we're working on her case uh, to figure out what to do to help her in, in Turkey. So uh, sometimes it can take many years uh, where the fruit of our work, you know, finally comes to fruition. But uh, it, yeah. these are just some, just a few of the recent cases. Yeah. You know, I know there's so, so many uh, cases. I remember the Saudi Arabian man that you got his passport back from after it had been confiscated, writing those letters. They responded and, and gave it back to him. And when uh, I went, that's one of the things Gary would always do, of course, is send copies to everybody, the president down, and you know, add some weight to it when a lower, lower person gets that with all the CCs. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it would also, Gary had a great sense of, uh, you know, if he hadn't been an actor, he always said he never could have done it because he had a great sense in, uh, for the theatrical and the flair. And he always did things completely openly and told everybody, he never, never hid anything because that was his strength is to, to share it with everybody. And not the press uh, release. Yeah. <laughs> I know you also have a, so many other examples. What are some of the cases that your staff are working on right now? Your, 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 uh, and by the way, these volunteers that are interns, they're all uh, legal students, right? Using the, these are people who are very professional. So well, some of them are them lawyers. Some of them are lawyers from other parts of the world. Some of them are, are law students. Some of them are undergrads, but who are going to be planning on going on to law school. It doesn't really matter what level of school they're at, as long as they have a desire to. Uh, promote respect of human rights for their, their fellow humans um, and ha have good research and writing skills. But so another great quick story about someone whose case we're, I was just talking about with the interns literally uh, you know an hour ago was uh, a man who's um, 
living on the Chinese side of the Vietnamese-Chinese border. Um, he's married to a Vietnamese woman, but he, and his name is, is actually a sort of Vietnamese name because he's on the border. So he probably has Vietnamese ancestry, but he's really considered Chinese by the Chinese government. Uh, but he wants to live with his wife permanently in Vietnam, but, but there's, he's always worried because he has to, every six months, he hasn't been able to get a, a, a permanent residence. He hasn't been able to get citizenship. He has to go back to China. And he always worried that when he goes back to China, he's going to get stuck there. So now one of my uh, uh, coworkers, uh, an intern, just found out that the European Union is accepting uh, Vietnamese uh, to, to come in, maybe not even as refugees, but to come in just like the U.S. has a, a like a, a visa lottery for people from various parts of the world to come in, no matter, you know, even if they don't have some uh, uh, like asylum or, or, or persecution basis for coming in. So that's a really good thing that we may be able to get uh, uh, this fellow and his, and his wife to be able to get to a country in, in Europe and not have to worry about the day-to-day, -day, am I going to be able to see my wife ever again if I, you know, when I have to go back to China every six months and, and, and you know, leave and then renew my, my permit to stay here. So that's an example of a case where some of the, the legal research and the legal writing we are doing can really dramatically impact the quality of people's lives. Great. Well, I hope our movie finds a way to get out very widely so you'll have uh, more and more people uh, applying for these documents and you'll have the financial resources to help the world in a much bigger way. Uh, so it's a real, uh, real, really much appreciate having you with us on that. Now, I see that it's uh, 1156, so we only have a few minutes left. Is there a last, uh, a last question anybody wants to ask of David? Or Melanie, do you have a question? Or should... I just want to say how impressed I am, David, and so the incredible work that you're doing and the successes that you had and how important your work is. I'm just floored that, the, that you're doing this and so happy you're there. And, and just know that we need to support you. We need to get, you know, you can donate to worldservice.org very easily. Just money is helpful that can get free passports to people so that's an, that's something easy people can do but also all the documentation all the ids and things they're, they're so important because it's here you have you know it brings you up to that level you know here i have my world citizen id i have my passport you in, you could get a, a marriage certificate you can get um id so what, what's stopping us from doing that? I mean, the more we spread this, the more power it will have. I mean, it's so hard, even people seeing the movie, sometimes they're just like, it's so hard to reach that level to know, yes, I am a world citizen, I have human rights. We need to acknowledge that, demand it. We, that's the way we're gonna have them if we know we have them and, and we demand them. So thank you, I just wanted to thank you for your incredible work and I'm so appreciative of you and carrying on this this important important work so thank you so much um yeah that's all uh, i had to say uh, let me uh, very good uh, let me just uh, ask you specifically oh, so people can tune in uh you mentioned that gary has 10 books um can they see the list of these books on your website uh, tell us a little bit more about how we go to your website uh how we find gary's books and how we sign up to get uh, world passports, IDs. And I know we can't get a, a world driver's license because you said that's not, that Gary said, that's not in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. All the documents they issue are only things mandated by the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So how can we get those tools and those books? Yeah, David. Right. 
Well, so our main website is worldservice.org and we have a catalog. There's a link on the homepage to the catalog and the list of Gary's books are there. We also want to um, have a flyer which lists all of, of Gary's books that I can email out to anyone and uh, we can send those books to, out to you if we have them in stock, which we do have a stockpile of a certain number of books. They're also all of Gary's books are available at amazon.com. Uh, you just put in Gary Davis with two R's, make sure you spell Gary, G-A-R-R-Y. Um, so it's, it's easily accessible. I mean, the next step I'm hoping is, of course, to get the books translated into multiple languages, uh, you know, especially because we're coming up to like the 75th you know, anniversary of, of Gary's uh, renunciation. Um, and of course, this come, the end of this month, the end of July, uh, is on July 27th, is uh, World Citizen Day. And that's the day we celebrate the life and legacy of Gary Davis. Uh, uh, so we'll have certainly some uh, tweets and posts out uh, to celebrate that that day and really get the word out about who you know who Gary was as an individual human being and what is his dedication of his entire adult life to humanity and the earth means. Um, and of course, info at worldservice.org is our main email if you have any questions that you want to uh, ask us about. I'm trying to think uh, what else you had asked me, Arthur, besides well, that, that Wonderful. Yeah. Well, everybody enjoy that. Also, uh, I'll turn it over to Melanie because they can also go to theworldismycountry.com and click on World Passport right there as well and get uh, introduced and some links. So, Oh, one quick, quick thing, start. Arthur. I just remembered uh, that you don't have to get a World Passport. If, if you still want to support the work we do, you can simply just make an outright donation. But some people also get a World Citizen card and certificate to affirm their World Citizenship status, which you don't give up any lower level status or allegiance or other status when you do that. So even if you don't feel you need or want to get a World Passport, you can still support us by getting a World Citizen card certificate. But there are many people who have both their national passport and the world passport and find that useful, especially in certain parts of the world where you might want to have a backup document like the world passport in case you're, something happens to your national passport. Yeah, it's great to have it as a backup uh, in case it got lost or anything, you still have IDs. It's great for so many reasons. Uh, yeah, I, I remember we passed one time coming into Mexico, we showed them that and they were saying in Spanish, oh, they must be very important. They must be diplomats. <laughs> so, uh, you know, anyway, it just it has a certain stature to it. So uh, it does help you as you travel around the world. Any case, uh, let's thank you so much and turn it over to Melanie to close the meeting. Yes, can thank I, you. Can thank I just you. ask a quick oh, question? Barat has a quick question. Go, go Barat. Yeah, is uh, World Service Authority uh, a 501c3 NGO? We are a nonprofit incorporated in Washington, D.C. We don't have a federal 501c3 because we are also political. We speak out against human rights violations. Okay, so you so don't, don't okay. have that 501c3, at least not yet. We may apply. But you have a, a, a World Citizen uh, Foundation. Well, yeah, World Citizenship, that is yes, that's right. We have a World Citizenship Foundation. Well, which, uh, which is citizenshipwithoutborders.org is our World Citizenship Foundation, which is the 501c3 side of World Service Authority. So go ahead and make all your donation to them. Yes, <laughs> okay. yes. Great. Well, Can you say the website again? Oh, yeah. So that's citizenshipwithoutborders.org. Thank you. You're welcome. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Good question, Brad. Wonderful. Thank you all. We're so happy you came to the meeting today. Spread the word. We'd love to have as many club members as possible. It's really easy to do. It's two months. Two months are free. The two first months are free and we're just uh, 
we're going to have fantastic discussions in the future. We're um, the, the sky's the limit. We're just going to, and in a positive manner. We we know that sometimes people, um, it's it's hard to realize how can we get out of this. Well, we're figuring it out. And so thank you so much for being here. Have a wonderful rest of the day, and look forward to seeing you next week at 10 a.m. Pacific time. The world is my country club. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody.